0: heaven made someone available for those that live on earth to live their lives effectively and his name is holy spirit two major events for me that stand out that that unless i understand what jesus came to do and i and i and i do not fully comprehend what he came to offer me i have no hope here on earth and i have no hope for eternity once i when i once i reconcile myself with what he's done it gives me purpose here on earth a major event jesus said i'm going to go away but i'm not going to leave you alone a second major event will come and that is when holy spirit from the father would come from heaven to empower you to live this life that i have now come to show you to live so Jesus said, I want you to live this way, but you will not be able to live that way on your own. You need us to help you. You need someone to come and empower you to live in this particular way. And His name is Holy Spirit. And so, so if we just look at Jesus and we stop there, the picture is not complete. Jesus came and He did a complete job. But he also said, for me and for you to be able to fully experience what I have for you, you need Holy Spirit as your friend, as your comforter, as your helper to guide you to live this way. And so when we then say live the way, we say, okay, but what is this way like then? And once we realize what it's like and how we ought to live it, we then call on Holy Spirit and we say, Holy Spirit, I see, I start understanding how I ought to live this way because I see how Jesus lived it. And now I want to live like that too, but I need you. I cannot do this on my own. Does that make sense? So Jesus came to offer a way and He offered... The way how to do that by saying, I'm going to send you another one, just like me, to help you to live this way. But this morning, and maybe for a while, we need to just stop and consider, what does this way look like? How did Jesus come to live? How did He live? Because as we have spoken about before, if if we want to live this way... And He invites us to come and follow Him along this way and live like He lived. How did He live? Is that a correct assumption? So, well, you know, live like Jesus lived, but never explain to you how He lived. How will we be able to live like He lived? Simple. Not rocket science. we just got to ask How? Did He live? And so part of our discussion this morning is to ask this question. How did Jesus live? And there are many angles that we can use to, do, to determine how He lived. We can look at the way He loved God, His Father. Man, that's amazing. Just looking at, just studying that. We can look at how He loved people and, and derive from that how we ought to love people. Correct? because we we do not have a better example on earth than the example that Jesus set for us on earth, while he was on earth. And by the way, if you've never read any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, then you've never dived into the example that Jesus has given for us of how to live. It can never be an informational study just to be a transformational study of i want to see how jesus lived so that i can live accordingly that's why we encourage one another about spending time in the bible another angle could be look at how he he approached people and how people approached him and how he was approachable and how he related to people how he conversed with people how he dealt with people How he associated with people, even those that were sinners, that were outcasts by many. How did he do that? Isn't that a way in which we can also derive the way that he lived and to follow in his footsteps? And so there are many ways in which we can look at him and to see how his way should become our way this morning I would like for us to look at something that enabled all of the above to happen in his life the way that he approached people the way that he spent time with people the way that he just moved around the way that he engaged his father the way that he healed people the way that he listened to people I want us to and that's the title of the message this morning. I want us to look at the pace of Jesus. Because this is key for us. That the way in which Jesus related and the way that Jesus did things was so dependent upon the pace at which he lived his life. The reason I want us to look at this is because one of the biggest obstacles if not the biggest one to live the lives God has called us to today here on earth is because the pace that we are living at at the moment is not allowing God into our lives the way that he wants to come in and therefore we miss out on the purposes of God because we live at a different pace than what Jesus did I want to read you something that I found very um, alarming, if I may use that word. I came upon, upon a a study from a certain associate professor of management at the Charleston Southern University of School of Business in the States. The man's called Dr. Michael Zigarelli, and um, he did a a 5 year study and and the amazing thing is that this study was done from about 2001 to 2006 around about that period and he came out with the results in 2007 the interesting thing is this that it's almost 19 years ago that he started with the survey it was an online thing it's still available that you can go and assess yourself which they what they really just did is they went Uh, worldwide on the web and they asked Christians to fill in the survey anonymous They didn't ask anybody for names they just asked for details what your ages would be and where you're from and stuff like that and then assess themselves spiritually where they were And, and this particular one was to assess how busy Christians are and how that does that relate to spiritual growth so, I just want to read to you something. It says, In data collected from over 20,000 Christians with ages ranging from 15 to 88 across 139 countries, the Obstacles to Growth survey found that on average, more than 4 in, one, in 10 Christians around the world say they often or always rush from task to task. What was alarming is that about 6 in 10 Christians say that it is often or always true that the busyness of life gets in the way of developing my relationship with God. This was done before 2007. 2007 is a tipping point in the history of the world. Why? 2007, the first iPhone came out, was released. And since the iPhone, many other similar phones have come out. And I dare to say that the statistics that were received during that five-year span is completely different already because the smartphone has come in and it's doing what it's doing hopefully not at the moment check around check around quickly quickly but we have done some you know just we've been exposed to some of the realities of that recently we watched a, a DVD um, by a person who is studying this, particularly amongst believers, the impact that smartphone and social media and, and and just all these devices have on our lives and it's alarming. These statistics come from before 2007. Very interesting. That they found, and this is in response to people filling in this, comp- or this survey, that the busy life was found to be a distraction from God among Christians around the globe. He said the following, and this is quite alarming because it speaks to me. He says, by profession, pastors were most likely to say they rushed from task to task, 54%, which adversely also gets in the way of developing their relationship with God, 65% of them said that. It's tragic, Dr. Zigarelli writes, and ironic, that the very people who could help best help us escape the bondage of busyness are themselves in chains how sad is that he he carries on to say the accelerated pace and activity level of the modern day distracts us remember this is 2006 7 that he wrote this 13 14 years ago the accelerated pace and activity level of the modern day distracts us from god and separates us from the abundant joyful, victorious life he desires for us, said Zigarelli. Just last thing that I wanted to read for you. He says, while this study does not explain why Christians are so busy and distracted, Zigarelli describes the problem among Christians as a vicious cycle, prompted by cultural conformity. We're all influenced by that. What happens around us influences us. He says the following, it may be the case, it may be the case that, one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to, two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to, three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to, four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle begins again. Just some interesting information about busyness of life. And hence us trying to say, well, there are some realities amongst us that we are facing. And it was so beautiful this morning as we, as we came together, normally at an hour before the meeting starts, we have the volunteers that are serving in various ways and we come together for a time of prayer and just reflection and, and preparing our hearts for the time that we will share with all the others that will be joining us. And Brendan prepared just on this simple thing, not knowing that I was going to talk about it and said, listen, why don't we just take some time, a couple of minutes to just sit and reflect on Jesus. Instead of praying 10 prayers of, God, please help with this, and God, this, and oh, I don't know whether I'm really ready, and just go and sit with Jesus, and just take on a different pace before we get involved in what we need to do. And so this morning, I want us to look at a number of examples, and try to learn about the unhurried life of Jesus from these examples because it's in the way in which he lived that he could manage doing what he needed to do. So I'm going to take you through a couple of verses in the time that we are allotted to be together. And praise the Lord, nobody's in a rush this morning, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Count that one out. So we've got lots of time (laughs) taking on the face of Jesus. I want to ask you to, to go with me to the book of Luke and we're going to look at a f- couple of examples from this book. It starts off in a very interesting place in Luke chapter 2 and verse 41 and there I've got all the verses there for you because I want you to actually write these down and take time at each one of them to see what it is that you can learn about the pace of Jesus from them, all right? We may not be able to cover all of them this morning. We may be able to cover them this afternoon as we go into the afternoon or into the evening because we have a different pace this morning, isn't it? But never mind. We, we'd like for you to look at those and to go and read them at your pace during this next week and learn from them about the pace of Jesus. Is that okay? Great. So that's a bit of homework. But I'm going to take you through some of them. And Luke 2, verse 41 to 51, is this amazing story of Jesus as a little boy still, about 12-year-old. Any 12-year-olds here? Huh? How many of you can remember when you were 12-year-old? None of you. <laughs> anyway, Jesus was 12 years old. And um, he was in Jerusalem, and he found himself in the temple during a particular feast, Feast of Passover. And his parents had returned to go home, but he never went with them. And we find this incredible thing in verse 48 where he says, And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. They saw him sitting in the temple amongst the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And the people that were there with him were marveling at at what he had to say. And so his mother said to him in verse 48, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. You could just imagine, you know, 12-year-old is not with us. And uh, he then replies in verse 49, And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Some translations would say, Did you not know that I was about doing my father's business? Did you not know that there's a different pace at which I am going to live? And even here at 12 years old, 18 years before he was released into the ministry, as we know it today, when he officially publicly went and did what he was called to do, he started living in a different way. He was submissive. It would say later on that he was submissive to his parents. He didn't try to rebel. But he was already introducing something different in the way that he was going to live. And as human beings, we need to take note of little things like this. Say, God, please help me to see what it is that I need to do to adjust. We read further in Luke 4 as it says on, on the screen there. Jesus starts his ministry by not putting up banners, by not doing massive flyers and sending them around and introducing that Jesus is now on the scene. He goes into the desert. He retreats instead of, in a sense, going forward like we would imagine him to do. Because just before that, there was a major event that took place that he was baptized by John the Baptist and And God spoke out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son. And you would imagine that immediately out of that dead, he would have this public ministry. But for 40 days, he goes into the desert. And he retreats. And he's by himself. And we know that in that time, he was tempted. And it was a really trying time. But Jesus does things differently. And we've got to pick up from the way in which he lived. And follow that example. Because when Jesus eventually said, follow me, he said, follow me as my disciples. Remember we used the word a couple of weeks ago, talmidim, which is really the Hebrew word for follower or apprentice or disciple. He said, if you want to be my talmidim, I want you to do and live like I live. And so this morning when we talk about the way in which Jesus lived, we are actually suggesting this is the way in which we ought to live. We need to. Retreat. We need to make time and consider God, and particularly His ways. We, li- we read further in Luke 4, verse 30. We read this amazing thing that happened that he was in, in this particular town. It was in Nazareth, his hometown. And he was, he was sharing with people in a particular context, and I'm not going to go through all of that. And at the end of this moment, they, they listening to Jesus, they got quite annoyed with him. Not just upset. They wanted to kill him. He had just started. This is Luke chapter 4 only. All right? And we find that they rose up in verse 29 and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Very exciting thing to experience, isn't it? Makes me think of Thomas and Duna. <laughs> Anyway, but here we have, we have Jesus being threatened to be killed. What we read in verse 30, it says, But passing through their midst, he went away. Just like, he just walked away. There was something about this man, something about his demeanor, that he didn't get all psyched up and, and worried and, and anxious about everything that happened around him. He just dealt with it and walked away. We read in Luke 4, verse 38, Um, just an amazing thing here, or verse 31 rather. It says, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, and his word possessed authority. So even though he's overwhelmed by this massive threat that people wanted to kill him, he goes into the next city and he just carries on with what he knows he should do. Not alarmed. Not anxious. Just carries on. Knowing very well that it would probably lead to the same kind of response, but he just carries on. He's not alarmed. Verse 38, we, we read him er, about him going into the house of, of Simon Peter, one of his eventual disciples, and and going and just just having a meal it was after the synagogue moment and they were probably just like a Sunday meeting and and after the meeting they want to go and have some some food and and he goes into the house and he and he's there and and there's a lady who's ill it's Simon Peters mother and he deals with that and he's just one thing to the other he's just so available he's so ready because the pace in which he lived was different we read in verse 42 of Luke 4 a thing that is often repeated. And it says this And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. I want to suggest to you this morning that one of the keys for us to find living according to de- the pace of Jesus is to do this. And we will be talking about this more and more as we consider living the way. Jesus, in the demanding moments that he had, because you can imagine, as soon as the word went out of him healing people, raising people from the dead, delivering people, giving attention to people, loving people, people, they rushed to see him. Jesus often made this a life style thing where he retreated to a def- to a desolate place read in the midst of all of this i want to suggest that jesus then from verses 1 in chapter 5 he says on one occasion while the crowd was pressing um into him to hear the word of god he was standing by the lake of gnesaret and he saw two boats and so here he is in the midst of all of this and and he's talking to a crowd from a boat and um, and after that, he has space in his day to fish with his disciples. Because he says to them, throw out the net now. And we know the story that they said, no, no, God, we can't do it. And, and this, we've been doing it for a long time. We've been tried, And he just says, do it again. But Jesus, in this, in this hurried moment, he's unhurried. He's living at a different pace. And he's recognizing that there are simple things that people also still need, and that is food. So let me not get anxious about all this stuff, but let me just slow down and give them what they need to. We read further on that in verse 12 of chapter 5, there's a man that has leprosy. And he comes running at Jesus, and now if you understand that leprosy was something that was despised by the people at that time, nobody could be amongst the general public who had leprosy. But here you have a man who approaches Jesus with leprosy, with this incredible intent to be healed. And Jesus is accessible to him because he lives at a different pace. I find myself living at such a pace often that even people who are not even close to leprosy, I don't have time for because I have my task to complete. And if people just suddenly come in and they break that pattern that I have set for the day and that I have determined how I want to live, I ignore them and I, I reject them. Jesus is at such a pace that whoever comes around, he has the time and space to stop for them that's the Jesus way but we live in a world that is so completely different we have some statistics that somebody 13 years ago did that give us some indication of how busy we are and can be and in the midst of this we have this this gospel, that's why we call it the, the kingdom, the upside down kingdom. Because in this world, everybody says this is how we ought to live, and, but the kingdom of God comes and he says, No, we've got to do it the other way around. we are got to make time for God. we are got to make time for people. But we're like, Nah, I don't have time. You don't know how busy I am. You don't know how much I've got to work because we've got to put an extra effort in this current condition and situation that we're in in this nation. There's no time for this stuff. But Jesus said, You wanna be my Talmudim? You wanna be my apprentices? You to live the way that I lived. And we've got to study the way that He lived so that we can live the way that He lived. So we can have the fruit that He had. I often ask myself, why don't I have the fruit that, that I long for? And the issue is not His fault, it's not your fault, it's my fault. There's fruit that God wants us to appear on our trees as, as we look at our lives. And, and it's not possible because we're so busy. We're just too busy. Jesus lived differently. Oh, I wish I had the time to go take you through all of this. Because Luke 6, I mean, here, Luke 5, for instance, verse 27, uh, he goes and he spends time with Levi. A tax collector and Levi made a great feast in verse 29 in his house and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining a table with him with them and Jesus goes into that mix Jesus goes into a context where he would not be um, appreciated by those that would look at him and say this is great what you're doing Jesus he knew exactly that they would be despising but Jesus says I'll do it the way that I want to do it because I want people to know that I'm interested in them and I don't care what others may think but what is important is what the father thinks and so he does exactly what the father wants him to do He has time those those examples are phenomenal Luke 6, he walks through the grain fields on a Sabbath and teaches that Sabbath is made for man and not man for Sabbath. That's a big thing. He walks and he he goes through grain fields and he teaches this incredible principle that Sabbath is not made so that we can serve it. Sabbath is made to serve us so that you and I could live. It's something that we will touch on more. And so he does this. He he, even before it seems like he eventually chooses his 12 disciples in, in Luke 6, chapter 12, it, he goes and he does time alone again. He went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. This is not a religious ritual. This is the pace at which Jesus lived. To enable him to heal and to deliver and to speak and to speak wisdom and love into situations he often retreated to time with his father he often had time to eat with people Luke 8 verse 36 i love this thing about jesus often just eating with people he in luke 8 and verse 40 to 56 you have this incredible story of a man called jairus how many of you have heard of jairus jairus had a little daughter that was seriously ill so Jairus runs and sends um, people to to inform Jesus that his daughter is about to die, and he needs to come urgently, urgently. So Jesus says, "I'm coming." He turns around and he is approaching Jairus's house. On his way, people are around him; he's surrounded by people. He feels something, and we know the story. But the story is really just that there was this woman who had an issue of blood and she touches him with an anticipation in her heart that she would receive healing jesus is on his way to jairus his daughter is about to die she touches him in other words she interrupts him on the way to what he's supposed to go and do jesus does what hey stop it i'm busy going jairus's daughter is about to die don't touch me jesus stops he says hey who touched me they're like. Jesus said, like, people around you, everybody's probably touching you. He says, no, this is a different touch. And he makes time for that touch because he lives at a different pace. If I'm on my way somewhere, I don't want to be stopped. I've got a goal in mind. I've got to get there. I probably, in this context, I have a time allocated to get there too. And so if somebody suddenly just, you know these wonderful vehicles that we have around in our neighborhood? and they interject and they interrupt, you get upset. Some of you do. You know, some of us don't. Praise the Lord. There are some of you that don't. I don't know who you are, but please teach us. The point is, we often get interrupted and it gets us to a place of great annoyance. Jesus gets interrupted by someone that touches him because she wants something from him. And she gets that which she wanted because he stopped. And he was at such a pace that, the way in which he lived was not determined by the demands, first of all, but by the heart that he had for people. And so he still gets to Jairus's daughter. She had now passed away already. You can imagine the people, ah, oh, Jesus, if you hadn't stopped with a lady, maybe you would have made it in time. It's like, I don't care, because she's still going to be okay. And he raises her from the dead. Different way. Jesus stops. Jesus prays alone in Luke nine verse eighteen. And and in Luke nine twenty eight he goes up the mountain to pray with Peter and John. In Luke ten we know this story very well of, of Jesus going into the house of Mary and Martha. And and, and there we have Jesus coming to have a meal and, and Martha's running up and down and getting the food sorted out and getting the cutlery out and, and getting everything out and Mary's just sitting there. Jesus, you're amazing. You're like so cool, Jesus. And Martha is, Ugh! Jesus, speak to this sister of mine. She's just sitting and doing nothing. Jesus saying, well, actually nothing is good at this moment. Sometimes it's good just to do nothing. Just to do nothing. Actual fact, we read an article, so me and I read an article on our time being away, of, of the Dutch people that have termed a certain thing, a certain name but they call it just nothingness where people are encouraged to do moments of nothingness because it's helping them to recollect and and refresh their brains a bit and this is in a secular world where people are so busy they're saying you're going to have moments of nothingness and in our context nothingness is actually much better when we have just time with our God and we sometimes may not even have to say anything but it just can be so effective and Jesus comes and he introduces us to these things. Luke 11, he's busy praying. Luke 11:37, 37, he goes to dine with a Pharisee again. Just a different pace. Luke 22, verse 39, it says it was his custom to be alone. Have you got a custom like that? To be alone. This is what Jesus did. I'm talking about being alone with God. Where we take ourselves out of this busy pace, this rushing world we're in, and spend time with Him. In 1 John 2, verse 6, we read this. This is my last verse I want to give to you. Where all of this is made relevant through what we read in 1 John 2, and verse 6. Where it says, whoever says he abides in him, Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So I bring all of this down to just a simple verse that says, if you say you belong to Christ, then John says to us, then walk, then live like Christ lived. Take on the pace that he lived with. If we are serious about following in the footsteps of our King and become like Him, we have to look at what keeps us from that. One of the biggest things that keeps us from that is the fact that we are so rushed and so busy and so occupied with much that we do not enjoy time with Him, and therefore the major place where transformation takes place is not available. Jesus did that, took time out. How are you doing? By taking time out. It's not about finding time. It's about making time. And we all become so busy that we miss out on the major thing that we need in our lives, and that's time with Jesus. The problem isn't that when you have a lot to do, it's when you have too much to do, and the only way to keep the quota up is to hurry. All of us have things to do. But eventually the problem of having so much to do means that I push God aside. Because he's the one that, that screams the least. All the other voices are louder. And so we try to give attention to them. But the voice that's just the inner voice is a still small voice. But it's, he's calling us to the place of our greatest um, fruitfulness. Our being with him. And we try to find it all over the world and all over our lives. But not with him. Just some final quotes. And I think they may be up here. Will they be? Just some quotes that I want to share with you. Corrie ten Boom. How many of you know the name Corrie ten Boom? A few of you. That's great. She was an incredible author, speaker, and World War II survivor, a Dutch lady. She said the following. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Because in one of the... The truth is this, that that both sin and busyness have the same exact same effect. They cut us off from our connection to God, to other people, and even to our own soul. So we think, oh, well, I'm busy. That's innocent. But actually what it's doing, it's cutting us off. A man by the name of Father Walter Adams, he's an incredible guy. He was a spiritual director to Suez Lewis. C.S. Lewis is a well-known author, and, and many of you have heard of him. This father said the following, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow unhurried pace hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work it never advances it hurry meaning very little can be done with hurry that can't be done better without it that's what hurry this is stuff that it's not just something that somebody thought about last week these are thoughts that come from many many years ago already there's another American author and, and pastor by the name of John Ortberg. He writes the following. He says, and for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and, and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it, our faith. We will just skim over lives instead of actually living them. That's why Jesus said, Martha, it's not wrong to do what you need to do. But it is better to at times stop and do what Mary is doing. All of us have stuff to do. None of us can just go and sit. I'm just going to now sit at the feet of Jesus and do nothing. We've got stuff to do. But we've got to discern between how many of these things are necessary and are important and are crucial. And how many of them can we just do at a different pace so that we can make time for what is most needed. To make time for simply loving God and loving people hurry often interrupts and interferes in the way that we ought to love one another love is a slow motion expression that we need to have and the need of the hour is for a slowed-down spirituality the real question is this and I pose it to you today in closing is your pace so fast and your life so busy and hurried that you are missing God and your relationship with Him is not growing and hence spiritually you are not developing. I read it again. Is your pace today so fast and your life so busy and hurried that you are missing God and your relationship with Him is not growing and hence spiritually, spiritually you are not developing? Each one of us need to ask ourselves that question. And then as we consider that, we need to say then, what things can you or I or should we eliminate from our lives that will allow us to slow down and enjoy more time alone with God and people for that matter and create the space for Him to develop our character?